Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham of, his, <clears throat> of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God said to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my hand is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. My name's uh, Craig. I'm part of the preaching team here at the church, and uh, it's been a joy to be crawling through this uh, series with each one of you uh, this past fall. We started in the middle of September when uh, Dale kicked us off in uh, chapter 12. And we, if you were around with us back then, or if maybe you've been reading through the Bible in a year and you're looking through Genesis and you and we just heard what the reading of God's word in, Gen in chapter twenty. You're like that. May that sounds familiar. That something about that sounds strangely familiar. Well, Dale preached on chapter twelve back in the middle of September, and this same type of thing was happening. Abraham kicked this off again of saying, "Hey, if 
We come across some people, you're my sister, okay? You're my sister. That way, they won't kill me. So that's his plan. That's his plan. He goes forward, and here we are eight chapters later in chapter 20, and he's doing it again. So we're going to be looking at this, uh, this section here through a simple outline, okay? Where there's a problem. There's a first conversation between God and Abimelech, Abimelech, and second conversation between Abimelech and Abraham, and then we're going to have a resolution, okay? So that's why I've unpacked this for us to look forward a problem, first conversation, second conversation, and then a resolution here. And I just want to pause and pray just as that God would be able to speak to us through this, what could be seen as a very uh, simple story, but I hope that you'll be able to capture at the end um, just what a surprise we have in our Lord. So let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for this time to come together to bring together our hearts and our minds together, our bodies together into one room uh, to place ourselves before your throne of grace and power. And we just want to open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts, and our hands to the truth you have for us and who you are and what you've done. So Lord, be with us now as we travel through these scriptures together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is a, the, the problem. We have a problem here, okay? So uh, as they are sojourning together, uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah, and remember, Abraham is a powerful man. He's a powerful man. He is he's a wealthy man, and he is traveling with a whole lot of livestock. He's traveling with a whole lot of uh, men and women servants, and they've got quite an entourage. It's, it's hard to miss this traveling uh, group of people here. And they are coming into this, this land of Gerar, which is a Philistine-occupied uh, city that is, is, has a pagan king that we are, we are learning about here. And this pagan king, Abimelech, is seeing something that he wants. He sees this wife, Sarah. Now, we know Sarah is, is, is traveling along in age. If you've been with us, she is like 90. She's like 91 years of age, and she has been given this great promise from God, great promise that she is going to give birth to her husband, Abraham, and they're going to have a son. And it's coming soon because just in the past chapter, we've heard that it's going to be coming this time next year. So it's coming soon. They've been hearing about this prophecy for over 15 years, and now it's coming closer and closer to the end. And Abraham continues with his same plan. The problem is he continues on with his same plan. You see, things back in, in the ancient, uh, ancient Near East, and specifically here with Abraham, uh, he is, is got this, this common problem that he's walking around with this really good-looking wife. And people... <laughs> are taking notice of her, and they're wanting to bring her in. These kings are wanting to bring her in. Pharaoh back in chapter 12, and now we hear Abimelech here in chapter 20. So the thing is, back then, they, they wanted to be very careful that they were not stepping in on someone else's marriage. Adultery was, was not okay, even with the pagan. Even with the pagans, they wanted to be respectful of one another. Now, if it meant that I had to kill you to have your wife, that's okay. Adultery, not so much. So we got to learn something here that people have their different lines of truth and different lines of morality, but sex was, sex was sacred. Sex, sex was protected. Sex was guarded. 
And uh, this happened, this is, we saw this happened back in chapter 12, and it's repeating the same folly by Abraham is repeating once again. Abimelech is, that stands for my father king, okay? He's, a, he's in this Philistine-occupied city, and he is a pagan king. Um, but there's, there's a lot here that I can respect in how he handled himself, and I think we're going to gather that here together. So there's something at risk here. Sarah has been captured, brought in by this very powerful king, Abimelech. She did what she was supposed to do. She said what she was supposed to say, and now she is in the king's quarters. And Abraham's life is saved because this is a brother and sister idea. What is at risk here? Well, we know Abraham's life was at risk, so he's freaking out. He's freaking out, and he's saying, I need you to say these things so that my life is spared. His life is at risk. Their marriage is at risk, right? Their very marriage is at risk. Sarah's life is at risk. Sarah's life as she knows it is changing. So you're going to go be with the king now. He's going to be your husband, and I'm gone after a whole lifetime of walking together in marriage. I just think about what my wife would, would think about that. She may be thinking it's an upgrade. It's a king. <laughs> Let's not go there. But, but her whole life is upended. And remember, she has heard the voice of the Lord give her promise. She's heard the voice of the Lord give her husband promise. There is a covenant that God has made with Abraham that he is going to be a blessing to the nation, all the nations, to all the nations. So, the fourth thing that is at risk here is the promise. The promise. Not just their lives, their marriage, but the promise that God has given. And we're going to see how that portrays throughout the rest. Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever lied to protect yourself? Have you ever lied to protect yourself? I can see every person's head nodding on the inside. I've seen it. I've seen kids with their hand in the cookie jar. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. What's that in your hand? Nothing. We've all been there. I remember, I mean, I've, I've been with people, uh, uh, adults, young adults, who struggle with compulsive lying, who struggle with it. It's like this compulsive sin of theirs. It's this it's this channel that they just find themselves slip sliding down again. One person was so honest to share with me when I asked them, why do you keep lying? It keeps getting you into trouble. You're not good at it. You keep getting found out that you're lying. And through tears and just a mopped up face, this young woman says, sometimes I just feel like the truth isn't good enough. And I'm like, and that has stayed with me for over 20 years. Sometimes the truth just isn't good enough. Sometimes we feel like ourselves is not good enough. Our own, what we have to offer, our own personhood is not good enough. And so we have to embellish. Sometimes we fear that many fears will drive us into self-rescue. If I don't get an A on this exam, I'm not going to get the scholarship that I'm promised. If I don't get an A on the exam, I can't advance forward in my career. If I don't get uh, this promotion, I am going to be, I can't pay for Christmas because I've already paid for Christmas on the Christmas bonus that's coming. 
Oftentimes, we are tempted when we lie to protect ourselves. And, I, and that is what Abraham finds himself doing here. So we know what the problem is. He's got a, he's got a problem. His wife is in the king's quarters. and He thinks he's, he's been rescued. But now a conversation happens. A conversation happens between God and King Abimelech. God speaks to him in a dream. And this is not the dream you want to have, okay? This is not the dream you want to have. You're having a vivid dream, and God speaks to you, and God says, you're a dead man. You gone. Consider yourself a walking dead man. This is a scary dream. This has got the king's attention. It was a see through verses 3 through 7. <clears throat> God came to Abimelech in a dream. And behold, you are dead. You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. That's important to pay attention to. He has not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then verse 6 happens. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Not only not, uh, let alone approach her, as he said earlier, but I did not let you touch her. God keeps him from sinning. He didn't restrain himself. God keeps him from sinning. How did he do this? How did God keep him from sinning? We know that Abimelech was operating in right heart, integrity of heart. He checked all the boxes and made sure that it was okay. And he did an honorable, an honorable thing, but his intentions, he had honorable intentions, but the Lord kept him from sinning. God kept him from sinning. Now, I want us to jump forward a little bit in your Bibles to, to verses 17 and 18. At the end of the chapter, last two verses of the chapter, and we, we're going to learn about a prayer that was offered by Abraham. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. We don't know what Abraham prayed there. We don't know what, what, what it was listed out there. But it's, it, it looks like that the, the, the ability to procreate in, the, in, the, in this small little kingdom has ceased, has stopped. And who knows that maybe just Abimelech was not able to perform as he was normally able to perform. Maybe that God stunted him in that. And so therefore God kept him from sinning. So that the king didn't even want to approach Sarah, let alone touch her, as the scriptures say. We don't know how many days or how many weeks or maybe even months that Abraham and Sarah are in this kingdom. We don't know. It's not, I, I don't think it's just an overnight occurrence. But they're living with each other for some time. Lastly, in the conversation between God and Abimelech, God is clear and he says, return her. Return her. 
He is a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. So that's good news. Starts off with really bad news on this dream. You are dead. But it turns out through the conversation in the dream, he will live. Okay, as we continue on, we see what the problem we see the first conversation between God and King Abimelech. Now, second conversation happens between Abimelech and Abraham. Abimelech, first thing he does is he has fear. He has fear. He is waking up early in the morning and he is calling a meeting with his, his manservants and, and women servants, getting everyone together, and everyone, the whole group of people there, the whole kingdom is in fear, in fear of what is going to happen. What has happened? He rose early in the morning and called all the servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. So with this, Abimelech called Abraham and is having a man-to-man conversation here. Very, very direct. And Abimelech asks him three questions. Verse 9, he says, What have you done to us? This brings a seriousness to sin a great seriousness that this pagan king is saying, what have you done to us? You've brought such uh, a serious uh, gravity to us. He's thinking, man, I was, I was dreaming, and the Lord is speaking to me last night. Your Lord. And if I'm Abraham, I'm leaning forward and I said, he, he spoke to you in a dream? What did he say? Because Abraham's not looking real good here. He's caught in the lie. So one, in verse 9, what have you done to us? This is serious. Secondly, the second question he has for him, and how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? And oftentimes a great sin means uh, the sin of adultery, a great sin. Oftentimes in the Bible when it's talking about a great sin, it's talking about adultery. And the thing is, because adultery is a great sin, it is a, a, a breach of the utmost trust at the most intimate setting. This is a serious thing that, that is potentially happening here. How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Third question he brings to him in verse 10. What did you see that you did this thing? What did you see? What's going on here that you would do this to us? We're living in harmony here. We accepted you, and you bring this on us. These three very direct, assertive questions. Abraham defends himself. Abraham is going to now defend himself. Which doesn't sound somewhat familiar to how we do when we're caught in a sin. See, what I'm learning through this story is that we're much like Abraham. We're much like Sarah. Let's look at what his three excuses are. Verse 11, judgment. Abraham starts off by saying, well, I thought, dot, dot, dot. I thought there was no fear of God here. And I thought you would kill me because you'd want to take my wife. So right away, he judged this kingdom. He judged the actions of these people. He judged them in his own self-rescue. He lied, hoping that would rescue him and he would be able to walk with his life. 
Second excuse that he gives, in addition to judgment, he gives justifying in verses 12 through 13. He starts justifying his actions. He starts justifying with a half-truth. Well, yes, it's true. We do have the same father, but we have different mothers, so she's my half-sister, so technically technically, I am right. She is my sister, even though it's a half-sister. But I've been he's not telling the full truth that I've been married with her my whole entire adult lifetime. His goal was to deceive. It was not to share a full truth. It was to share just a little bit of a half-truth to get by. Does this sound familiar to any of us? Judgment. Justifying. His third excuse is, this I think is the most common one, is blame shift. He's going to shift the blame, shift the responsibility off himself. He's going to, shift, he's going to blame shift and go to verse 13 where he says, God made me a wanderer. So really it's his Really, it's him who has put both of us in this terrible situation. Really, it's him. So I needed a plan. It was his fault, and I needed a plan to self-rescue me and my wife and all my belongings so that I can continue on doing what I want to do. But Abraham has totally forgotten the promise that God has given him, hasn't he? God, he's totally forgotten. He is caught up in the now, in the panic of the now. He's freaked out that he's going to lose his life. He's worried, he's desperate, and he's going with a plan that's, that worked for him eight chapters ago. We do the same thing. Oftentimes we freak out. Oftentimes we worry. Oftentimes we don't trust. We're put in a situation where we have an opportunity as people of faith to walk in faith, or we can take things into our own control, and try to self-rescue. Now, we do this in many different ways. And, and I mentioned a, a channel of sin that can happen earlier, and that's, that's oftentimes what happens to many of us, is that we have a sin, a besetting sin, is an old church term, besetting sin. So it's a sin that you can uh, find your way back to again, that's uh, a bit compulsive for you, that comes easily for you. It's a channel that Sin finds its way easily into your life, into my life, into all of our lives. We have these sins or even a besetting sin that we struggle with. Um, we do this. And when we're put in a positions, situations where we have to decide how we're going to move forward as people of faith and make a faith movement, a faith decision, which Abraham could have said, I know God has spoken to me. I know it to my core. He's even spoken to my wife, and I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to trust in His promises, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do what I did eight chapters ago. I'm not going to do that. I learned my lesson, but what did we learn? He goes right back to that besetting sin of easily the channel that's made in his life, and sin finds its way. What if we don't see uh, Abraham respond in a situation like this where he's, he says, you're right. So these three questions he's been asked. There's nothing in there that he says, you're right. I am a fool. I don't know why I don't trust in my God. He's been so faithful to me time and time and time again. But I looked out after myself and I... I this is, this is a, a modeling of a, of a regretful apology. 
head in his hands and he's shaking his hands like, I cannot believe I've done this to you. I've put your whole reputation at risk. I wish I had it to do over again. Would you please, please forgive me? That doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen here. He gives three excuses as to why he was justified in doing this. When we're in situations where we are tempted, tempted to not walk in faith, but tempted to self-rescue, we can, you know, we can lie, as has been demonstrated here by, by Abraham. We can lie. We can, uh, we can get in a stressful situation. We can take one too many drinks, one too many drinks or one too many pills or whatever the substance may be. We can, we can go. We promised ourselves that we would not do this for the 10,000th time. But when you worry and you're not acting in faith and you're stressed, you may go to that website for the 10,000th time. You told yourself you're not going to do it. And you go there. There's many copious amounts of sins that we all can struggle with and fight with when we don't walk in faith, when we don't choose faith. We choose ourselves. We choose our own coping mechanisms. We choose our own lies. We order two pizzas instead of one pizza. We get on Amazon again and we order more and more stuff. It's like a drug that hits us and we feel better. Something's coming in the mail for me. Yeah. Oftentimes when we are positioned with choosing faith or choosing stress or worry or fear like Abraham was, sin is quick to follow. Quick to follow. So as we move forward, we have the problem. We have the first conversation. We have the second conversation between Abraham and Abimelech. And we're going to round up here to the resolution here. So what does the king do? Verses 14 through 18, we see a resolution here. What does the king do? The king steps forward. And he took sheep. He took oxen. He took male servants. He took female servants. And he gave them to Abraham. In addition to that, he returns Sarah, his wife, to Abraham. His wife. He returns Sarah. So he is gifting Abraham so much. And then he turns towards Abraham and he says, look out here into this country. Choose where you want to dwell with my, my blessing. So now he's given him land, permission to live uh, on his land. And then Abimelech, he pauses and he turns and he says to Sarah, he speaks to Sarah. He says to Sarah, Behold, I've given your brother. Now he's talking in front of everybody here. I've given your brother. Initially, he, he brought Sarah, his wife, to him. But now he's addressing Sarah saying, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, which is a sum of money. Okay, a thousand pieces of silver. One historian has said that that would take a working man 150 years to accumulate. It's a chunk of change. I've given him a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all. 
He's doing this publicly to demonstrate he wants her to be clear. And everyone walking, watching around, both, both groups of people, it is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone, you are vindicated. You are made right. You are made whole. Nothing has happened here. This is really important for all of us to observe because it's not just the groups of people, but it's us as well that need to know this. She has been vindicated, which means that there, not only has he not approached her, as we learned earlier, not only has he not touched her, not only was he potentially not able to do anything with her, but in front of all people, she is restored back to her brother and back to their people with all these gifts, with all this money, and she is vindicated. This is important because the Lord is at work here. Even when we are panicked and freaked out in all of our decision-making, good or bad, the Lord is not surprised. He is observing this all and controlling this all by making this bring glory to Himself. He has a plan. He has a promise. And that promise is going to come to fruition. That promise is that Abraham's going to get his wife pregnant and she's going to give birth to their son Isaac, which happens in the next chapter. This is to bring glory to himself. Abraham, in his folly, in his fool-hearted plan, almost wrecked it all with the idea that people could get, well, sure, that's, that's not Abraham's son. That's Abimelech's son because they spent time together. We know that he, he, he took her as his wife. But God rescued this through the action of a dream telling this man, this woman has a husband. And he had to stop in his tracks. Something beautiful happens here at the end. I mentioned it earlier as we looked at 17 and 18. Abraham prays and Abimelech is healed. And his wife and his female slaves are all healed. We don't know the words that Abraham prayed, but we see the fruit of how he prayed. The fruit is, is that their ability to bear children has been returned to them. And what a prayer that Abraham is, is used to praying for himself. Him and Sarah have been praying this prayer 10,000 times in their lifetime. Lord, please, please bring us a son. Bring us children. And they've been walking barren for their whole entire lifetime. And they've been waiting on a promise for over 15 years that God has given them. They've been walking and waiting and waiting and waiting on this promise. And then they've heard a voice just as if in the past year that I'm going to return to you within a year and you're going to give birth to a boy. They've been waiting on this promise. And Abraham prays this prayer yet one more time for someone else. And God blesses these people. Maybe, just maybe, Abraham says, and while I'm praying for these people, I want to pray for my wife, Sarah. And he offers up this bold prayer, this, this guttural prayer from his core, from the most intimate part of his heart. and says, would you do something? Something so great. Would you follow through on your promise that you had given me and given my wife? It would be a blessing to the nations.
See, the Lord's promises being fulfilled have nothing to do with our performance and everything to do with His grace. God is a God of grace and power. And He's the star of the show. King Abimelech was a noble man. And he gave a lot of his, of his kingdom to Abraham, who was not deserving of it, but is receiving of it. But this is a God, this is our God, who is full of grace. We are going to fail in our performance time and time again. We are Abraham. We are Sarah. We're going to fail. But the blessing that we have in our God is that He demonstrated His love for us in this, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died. What great grace we have in Jesus. What great grace we have in the Lord that shows up in the Old Testament and throughout the New. This is a God who steps forward. When we step aside and choose ourselves, He steps forward and His will prevails. He will always bring glory to Himself through His will. This is our God. This is our God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we come to You in Jesus' name and we thank You that You are a God that prevails through grace. God, we know we are not deserving of this tremendous grace of having our sin, all of our sin forgiven through the blood of Jesus. That for those of us who place our faith and trust in Him and repent of our sin, we have peace with Almighty God. So thank you for what you have provided for us time and time again through this, this series of Abraham as we learn about how you're so full of grace and you're so patient with us. When we, do, yeah, when we do take steps of faith and when we don't, when we don't take steps of faith, when we take really bad steps, like lying and offering our wives up just to self-preserve. So Father, we just uh, come to you in great adoration for who you are and what you've done for us. Help us to move forward to make decisions based on faith, leaning upon you, Deeply, we are people that need you. So may we live a life that reveals this great dependence upon you. More and more, we need you, Jesus. Thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.